It's a beautiful fall time NBA season preview podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And we have we have been away for a while, but we are back and ready to continue previewing teams. We're finally starting to get into, at least as a group, these five teams we're going to do today is a group that I'm excited about. I was trying to think of how to categorize them. They're probably the teams that are going to finish somewhere with like, at least by our predictions, like the eight to 12 best records, which kind of means some of these teams yeah. will be fighting for home court advantage. And some of these teams will be fighting to stay out of the play in kind of depending on what happens with their conferences. Like there's not, those things aren't always equal. You could be the, you could be the ninth best team in the league and the third seed in, in the Eastern conference or something sometimes. Yeah. Not a whole lot. This is usually the kind of most boring time of the NBA season. So like not a crazy. Typically. Yeah. September September is rough because <laughs> like, free agency is already finished. You know, most of the trades and stuff that go down like over the summer months, like we're really just stalling at this point, whatever, whatever players haven't been traded yet. There's, you know, teams are holding out for a better deal or something. You know, we, we get summer, summer league's over. We've gotten all of our takes about rookies out of the way. So we're just biding our time until the end of October. But it's sort of like they've really shortened this window because now we're like in full on anticipation of next season, like training camp starts yeah. tomorrow. We're recording this on a Tuesday. So some teams are going to be in camp tomorrow and most players have, have showed up and there's already news starting to leak of like who hasn't shown up yet already. Yeah. A hint of the first team we're going to talk about. Kyrie has not reported a day early like the rest of the team has. So people are already being like, bring on the Kyrie drama, baby. But what um, team is that? I've lost track. <laughs> but yeah i think the i mean the nba has done such a good job of of making it a a year-round thing and then if you're like a more general basketball fan getting the getting the international tournament in the late summer then going straight into the WNBA playoffs with a little bit of overlap and then mm. by the time the WNBA playoffs are done we have the nba season so you actually never have to stop if you're if you're a freak and I feel like most people who listen to this podcast are probably freaks. You're probably if, into it, yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a freak, I like applaud you for listening to us talk about, you know, sometimes talking about like a guy on a two-way contract for. You for gotta be really into basketball to be like deep into it in late September. I feel like if you identify as more of a casual NBA fan. I, I salute you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you had a stage of your life where you were. I mean. Throughout high school, I was much more of a casual fan. I was way more into college basketball than I was in NBA. Um, my fandom yeah. kind of grew over time, but I didn't start out that way, as I'm sure you know none of us really do. I can't remember when it got really nerdy. Like it, it kind of it graduated from like really casual NBA fandom mm -hmm. into you know like watching one watching like almost every game of one team. And that like I don't know when it got a little bit out of hand. I can actually even remember taking a full. My first year of university, I was like, I'm not going to watch basketball anymore. That's not going to be my thing. I'm I'm reinventing myself in first year university. So yeah. I skipped a whole season of the NBA. That would have been like 2000 and the 2005, 2006 season, I guess. Okay. Didn't didn't watch it. If I ever if I ever say something about that season, I am lying. Or I've you know gone back and watched a game or something because I skipped that whole thing and then came back with with reckless abandon after that. So you missed the whole Mavericks Heat dramatic finals that at the end of that season. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I didn't watch that. I I did. I was sort of paying attention more. I I knew that like I knew that the Mavericks were up. I remember people complaining about Dwayne Wade foul calls. Yeah, I have gone back and watched a lot of footage from that final specifically, but probably not 
from the like the playoffs leading up to that or kind of like that's like arguably Dirk's prime year and I I sat it out mm-hmm. he had a he had a, some good prime years after that though great to get to Dirk because that will lead us straight into our team we could have done Kyrie but you know we could have used Kyrie as the lead into the Mavericks but we switched to the Dirk's Dirk is no a better lead in yeah exactly well yeah. hopefully I think Mavericks fans are hoping that that will not be so dramatically the case and are you know that Kyrie is going to have a lovely, peaceful, winning, undramatic tenure down in Texas. So we'll find out if that's going to happen. Well, actually, I mean, we won't know that it has happened until it's done happening. So let's get into the Mavericks. What did, what did they get up to this summer, Simon? Yeah, we're continuing our season preview we've been working on with the Mavericks. They did have a pretty eventful offseason. You know, we've talked about some teams that did stuff, but the Mavericks are are higher on that list. You know, lots of roster changeover from last season. Here's just a few of the major things. Uh, they signed, brought back Seth Curry, previous Mavericks standout who paired really well with Luca. So they picked him up. They brought back Dante Exum back to the NBA. He has not been playing in the league for the past couple of years. So he is back. They traded for Rashawn Holmes. That was kind of like a draft night. They moved up a couple of picks and got Rashawn Holmes in the deal to kind of pick up a late first round pick. And, you know, the Kings were trying to get off the salary. So that's how that happened. They signed Derek Jones. Um, he was a free agent. Bulls did not bring him back. Um, and then they also had two. Oh, probably their biggest signing in the offseason actually is Grant Williams. Yeah, and, and the Kyrie re-signing. Those are the I thought two you were... big deals. I thought you were saying, oh, to correct yourself, to add the junior to Derek Jones Jr. You're like, oh, no. I can't just call him Derek Jones. It's Derek yeah. Jones Jr. Not to be confused with all the other Derek Joneses. <laughs> but yeah, those, father, are, those are all their major signings that they made this offseason. And then they also drafted two guys in the first round of the draft. So Derek Lively was the first out of Duke. And then Olivier Maxence Prosper out of the French region of Canada. Beautiful Canadian French there. Via Marquette, I think, is where he played his college ball. Did we get Markeith Morris in there as well? Oh, yeah. Markeith Morris is a recent addition. They signed him because they actually waived JaVale McGee after attempting to trade him for months. And (laughs) there not being any takers because he had two years left on his contract for like 11 million or so, about five and a half million per year. So they ended up just cutting cutting bait. So they'll just eat that salary. And then they picked up Markeith Morris as his his replacement um, on just a veteran minimum deal. Yeah. Cause you have to have one, you know, high profile NBA bonehead on your team. So as soon as JaVale was gone, they needed to act quickly yeah. and and they picked up Markeith Morris, who I, I just watched clips of, you know, I think he was on the Gilbert arenas pod. No, he was on all the smoke. He was on all the smoke and they were making very, you know, tough guy, allegations about Nikola Jokic washing his back from like an altercation that took place in the court like two seasons ago now. And yeah, but I mean, I, I actually have always liked Markeith Morris as a player. Obviously he's getting, he's getting older, mm-hmm. but when I watch stuff like that, when I watch, I mean, all the smoke is really high level NBA drama entertainment, but I feel like sometimes guys feed into it a little bit too much and just really act like they're in grade nine talking tough. And that's exactly how the Morris twins, the more I came across talking about, it's like, guys, you're professional athletes. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like you're, you're all millionaires. Like I'll be interested to see what Markeith Morris has left. Cause he wasn't exactly a very, he hasn't been a very impactful player the last couple of years. Yeah. He's kind of struggled to get onto, onto the court with some teams that like desperately needed some like larger wings and some mm-hmm. 
guys with strength just defend the low post and hit some threes. And he hasn't even been able to play that much. So yeah, I don't know if there's a lot left in the tank for Markeith. But this I mean, is how we're starting the podcast. Deep dive. <laughs> Markeith a- Morris. That's like, you know, let's move on to the next team. I think we've covered all the stuff Mavericks fans want us to yeah. talk about. We've talked about Markeith Morris. Big check. In terms of guys who actually impact their lineup a lot this year, I think, you know, bringing Kyrie back. There are some numbers with Kyrie and Luca. So the record when they both played for the Mavericks last year wasn't great. Um, they were under 500. However, the on-off numbers when Kyrie and Luca were on the floor together were a pretty decent positive. Um, and I don't have those right in front of me at the moment, but I do know that, you know, they're huge plus offensively and, you know, obviously not great defensively, but the spectacular offense did outweigh the negative defense when they shared the court. Yes. And also Kyrie lineups without Luca were also very successful in offense and actually not quite as bad on defense. You'd have to look at the lineup data to see who else was on the floor yeah. there that I don't think it was, you know, Kyrie, but Luca's defense was pretty bad last year. And I'm, yeah, I thought it was his worst season, you know, even worse yeah. than like when he was a rookie. Yeah. I've always been a mild Luca uh, defender of Luca's defense in terms of like, it's just not quite as bad as some, you know, smaller guards or something. Like there's still things that he can yeah. do defensively, well, but he wasn't doing them last year. Very it's much. hard because, you know, he definitely has the ability to be a decent defender. Like he's never going to be a lockdown guy, but he, he gets his hands on balls in the passing lane. And he's big, strong and he's, smart. And he's big he's, and strong and he knows where to be on the floor. It's, it's more just like a lack of, and I don't know how much it's related to conditioning. I don't know how much it's related to kind of like the insane offensive workload that he has to manage a lot of the time, but he just seems to kind of run out of juice on the defensive end of the floor, especially like late in games. And he just like, you know, he he just doesn't have the energy to like, you know, make it through a pick or to get all the way out under the corner to close out on a guy or whatever it is. Like he just doesn't move enough on the defensive side of the floor. I think the best defensive thing that Luca has going right now, and this is not, this is not this sort of damning with faint praise, but he's probably the easiest star to hide defensively because of his size and strength it's just easier to stash him on a wider variety of players where sometimes if you have like a really small guard and you want to stash him on the least threatening scorer some teams just have a guy whose least threatening scorer is totally capable of posting up but you know a six foot one guy if 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 you allow that so with luca you don't have the same there's a wider variety of there's a less wide variety of people that can take advantage of him but i think Luca is primed. Well, I think, I mean, we kind of go into this every season with Luca, but I feel like he's primed to have his best season yet in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Again, I think we like say that every year just because he's a player that's like a young and really good, but he looks in really good shape in at the World Cup despite some of the antics. And, you know, maybe he'll have an antic filled season. That's not out of the question either, but yeah. I'm still. In terms of just the offensive package, I think he's uh, like you know arguably the best perimeter player in the NBA, offensively. And I really like how the Mavericks have decided to build around him this offseason because one of I thought one of their biggest failings last year, especially post Kyrie trade, is you know you do have to hide Lucas somewhat, and there are kind of like you said he is big and strong, so I think there is kind of a James Hardeny role where you just post him up. You got you sorry you put him on a player where you know it's a bigger player that doesn't have like insane foot speed but also Luca's strong enough where he's not going to be able to post him up either so yeah. he's not like a liability in a kind of a mismatch 
situation in the paint. In and order to do can... that, the you need your wings need to be able to guard the perimeter. And after trading Dorian Finney-Smith and with the the struggles that Reggie Bullock had last year, the Mavericks just weren't able to effectively guard the perimeter with non-Luka players, some of their bigger wings. And do you think that they are better suited for that this year? Yeah, I think Dante Exum is actually going to help quite a bit in that regard. Oh, yeah. Depending on how much he plays, I think Josh Green has had flashes of like really, really excellent man-to-man defense. And it's just a matter of like more reps kind of developing that, you know, buying into that system and that that team level IQ. Um, I think that's really promising. Um, And then I think Grant Williams, you know, much maligned on the Celtics last year. Uh, But Grant Williams is still decent at switching out and guarding the perimeter. I'm not going to call him an incredible he, he definitely can get to the point where he's a little bit overwhelmed by speed and quickness if you're asking him to guard point guards all the time. Uh, but you can put him on twos and, and smaller wings. I think that, I mean, and you've talked about your Grant Williams defensive doubts before. I think Grant Williams is a great defender, three, four, five. I think, I think when I don't, I don't really see him guarding guards. Like, I don't think he gets that foot speed. His, his advantage is his strength strength and hustle and that's not going to cut it against perimeter players i think josh green is a better uh fit there and he did spend more time guarding guards and shooting guards last year with the mavericks so he's and he's lacking he's lacking uh, the strength but he definitely has the the speed and the quickness yeah and he's not super big either so like you know they 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 might start him at the three this year he's not big for a three he's like he's around like you know he's six foot five Maybe they'll list him at six foot six in shoes or whatever, but it's a bit, it's a big season for him. If, if he has a bust out season, because mm-hmm. he like, there, there was a weird stretch last year with the Mavericks right after the Kyrie trade where they gave Josh Green a whole bunch of stuff to do and he was killing it. And everyone was all hyped on Josh Green. And then no one really talks about how like that really only lasted about a week and a half. And then he, I remember picking up in like a fantasy league and it was, you know, a great yeah. pickup. And then it stopped being a, a, great pickup really fast and he sort of never got back to that but um really versatile player got over some of his scoring aversion really creative playmaker it's, it's an interesting piece next to luke and Kyrie, who are ball dominant but josh green's also a very like hungry cutter and a quick passer so it's not like he needs the ball in his hands to do his style of playmaking mm-hmm. and i think those guys are are can be very valuable in offense especially if he's just not as afraid of shooting and he shot 40% on threes last year, but he, you know, he only took a, a few of them. He's not up to like, you know, league average attempts or anything like that, but there's some more promising signs there. His field his like efficiency has gone up every season he's been in the league and even, and so has his, his free throw percentage. So he's clearly the skill development is happening there. Cause he shot like yes. 56% in his rookie season Yeah, from, from the free throw line. I mean, not from the yeah. field. Like it was, yeah, uh, it was rough. So, yeah, he's gone from what looked like a no way this guy's ever going to be a shooter. Yeah, here's his here's his rookie slash line. It's forty five percent field goals, sixteen percent on threes, and fifty six percent on free throws. That like to me, if I wasn't watching the Mavericks, I'd just be like, well, that's a non shooter forever. Like you don't recover from those numbers in your rookie season. So he's already been a massive success as a development project for them. It's not just a question of like, can he take it even further? He's only 22 years oh, old, yeah. so you know there's a lot of. Well, he's already he's already proved he's well on his way. Yeah, and then I think I think Derek Jones Jr. is actually a really nice piece sneakily for the Mavericks. So we had a stint with Derek Jones Jr. in Portland. Yeah, and it didn't work out great because you know we really needed some help on the interior and we really needed just like a wing who can spot up, and that's not really Derek Jones's game. You know, his game is crashing the offensive glass and being kind of like a vertical threat, and you know you can. 
you can run off ball cuts with him. You can run a little bit of pick and roll with him. I mean, he's not really sturdy and stout enough to set screens, but you know, if you have a really savvy passer who can kind of like, and Derek Jones Jr. is pretty good at just attacking those gaps. You can take advantage of that. So obviously with Damian Lillard in Portland, that's not really his role as a point guard and that he wasn't helping us in the, the holes that we had on defense. But I think it's a great fit for the Mavericks potentially. Offensively, definitely with Kyrie and Luka, they can utilize Derek Jones. And then it's another wing who, you know, is pretty versatile. He's going to be – he's pretty versatile on the defensive end of the floor. I have a – hard time figuring out the Mavericks rotation I see a lot of players that I like and are are useful and I I think you know like fit some of the roles that you know I've always thought of fit really well around Luca in terms of you want aggressive guards shooting in space obviously and and rim runners and the Mavericks went out and, and signed every single rim runner they could find yeah uh, and and drafted a, a guy who like you know with a really high draft pick drafted a guy that projects to be an elite rim runner but now they've got so Derek lively is who i'm talking about but rishon mm-hmm. holmes has been one of the better rim running bigs for the last couple of years he's been almost like a specialist in that role he's got like a little floater to complement his athleticism and rim gravity dwight powell has been like another like you know role player level excellent cutter next to luca i mean there's a reason that dwight powell just ends up starting <laughs> Most of the games at center for the Mavericks every year, you yeah. know, fans don't want him to. Like, no one else works out. And Dwight Powell's like, Well, I can do the thing. If you need someone to do the thing, he's also you know, been their like, only guy who isn't like a complete disaster defensively at the five. Yeah. Yeah. But he is a bit of a disaster defensively at the five. I think Dwight Powell's a good right, player. Right. But, but not as, sucks, but he, not yeah, as bad. <laughs> yeah. It gets worse. Yeah. Christian Wood. And then, like you said, Derek Jones Jr. So they've got four guys whose offensive role is primarily a rim runner. They're yeah. not going to play all four of those guys. I think only two of them are going to make the rotation, especially if Maxi uh, Kleber is Kleber is healthy and he him, him and Grant Williams are going to soak up a bunch of front court minutes. That means like they're going to keep one rim runner out there. They're probably going to not have, like, they might not even have a rim runner all the time. They might go for a five out sometimes, which means no Lively, Holmes, or Powell, or Derek Jones Jr. So that's going to be a a big fight in camp, I think, to see who who gets that, and someone's going to drop out. So I agree with you. I really like the fit for Derek Jones Jr., and it's always awesome when, like, a role player with, like, an obvious skill set finds his home. But I do, like, when that signing happened, I was like, oh, that's kind of perfect. But oh, there's a lot of competition for that role yeah, that he that's wants true. to do. And hopefully, yeah. him being a little bit more versatile, like defensively, than some of these guys gives him an edge. But it's not, I mean, I, I like all these guys, so I'm not necessarily rooting mm-hmm. for one of them, one of them to, to fall out. But I think that's that's will be his obstacle is like becoming a high level rim roller next to Luca while also being able to defend all over the floor a little bit better than some of the bigs. Yeah, I mean, I do think the Mavericks struggle is going to continue to be defense, although I do think it won't be as bad as it was last year because they are they still don't really have an answer for defending, you know, the really awesome small guards, and they mm-hmm. still really don't protect the rim all that well. But, you know, they are improved um, at the wing positions. They are improved in terms of their versatility and switchability. And in a way, that can be kind of a function of rim protection because you're just preventing less penetration. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have great interior rim protection, like your your point of attack defense being good is an option. I don't, I don't love them in in either sense, but I think if some of these defensive guys 
can establish themselves over some of the offensive guys. Like the Dante Exum question is a really good one because oh, yeah. the players he's competing with at the guard spots. I mean, he can, he's like, he can play kind of one, two, three on defense, but are all, like the other guys are all offensive. It's Jaden Hardy, Tim Hardaway mm-hmm. Jr. And Seth Curry. So like if Jason Kidd opts for offense and sometimes like Jason Kidd is a total wild card as a coach. I really don't ever know what he's going to do. And he's been, he's already been kind of like doing his thing in the media, which I, whenever Jason Kidd is talking to the media, I'm just like, are you telling the truth? Are you playing mind games? Like he's such, he's no. always been such a, a, an enigmatic, strange personality as a coach ever since yeah. he pur- purposefully spilled water on the court. I'll never like, you know, he's always going to be an interesting coach to watch to say the least, but because one of the things he said recently was that Omax, Olivia, Maxence Prosper and, and Derek Lively are going to be competing for starting positions, which. Oh, I love to hear that about Omax. Yeah, that's really cool. And then I was listening, I went for a walk this morning, was listening to the True Hoop podcast with uh, Jared Hector and David Thorpe and David Thorpe had a take and he's a pretty well plugged in, uh, guy who also like is a coach himself and and kind of knows coaches and he was like i when as soon as he heard that he was worried the mavericks are already planning to trade these two like they're 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 all they're just hungry for a third star to put next to Kyrie and luca and they see omax and lively as like potentially juicy chips so they're trying to like drum up some interest it did, it worried me a little bit i don't like, buy that at all <laughs> i can see the mavericks do it they you know they, they gave away the farm for to just you know the surefire way to lose luka Doncic to a demanded trade in a couple of years like go all in on one season and not have it work out and have everything collapse around it I agree, but I think the idea is like, oh, if we got a third foundational piece because these rookies played well early or like, you know, but I, I agree. I think what would be more would be a stronger move for Luca is like making sure that these young guys are put in a position to succeed and making him excited about the long-term vision of the roster. Like I'm totally with you on that one. That makes more sense. But front offices are very prone to panicking to get stars it's not even about the win now part of it it's just like gotta get a star gotta get a star and there's lots of you know like there's lots of players that are there's lots of like stars feel like fair game to go on i think i think with like joel Embiid and Giannis both making those little speeches this summer it was sort of like oh teams are loading up to be Mm -hmm. able to sign these trade for these guys when the time comes the mavericks i don't think that's realistic for them to trade for any kind of star that's like the level, the level that's you know meaningful enough to really impact their title chances because there's so many other teams that have much better yeah packages to trade than they do yeah but yeah i i, I hope that omax and derek lively are getting a chance to start just for normal basketball reasons because Both of those guys have very high defensive upside you know and yeah. that's exactly what the mavericks need yeah, you never know what you're getting from a rookie is the only is the only tough thing. And sometimes like maybe both of these guys are going to be amazing players but won't be good in the rookie season. That's like that's very plausible. But so this is this is the kind of team that I think can afford to play a rookie who's pretty good on defense even if he just isn't ready offensively yet. It's pretty rare though that big guys are good at defense right away. I'm I'm thinking more about Omax in this sense. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's an older rookie. I think he was yeah. a four four year player in college, three or four year player, so it's not a not a he's not a spring chicken coming in. If if Dante Exum, Josh Green, Omax, and Grant Williams, and let's not forget Maxi Kleber are all yeah. in the rotation on a night to night basis, or like you know, four or five of those guys are part of the rotation, 
I think the Mavericks have a chance to cobble together an average defense. And let's just remember, like we're talking about a team that was a like close to a top five defense and that and close to a bottom, sorry, top five offense, yes. bottom five defense. And that means missing the playoffs in, in like this extremely competitive era of NBA basketball. Like you got, you can't, you can't be a joke defensively and they still have a chance to be a joke defensively because there's still a lot of offensive players on that roster. And there's a lot of holes still. And Derek Lively is a rookie and Rishon Holmes is very small. And so is Dwight Powell. He's undersized the center and Marquise Morris should not be seeing minutes. And so, you know, there's a, there's a wide range here. I think there's abuses here to, to be 15th or 16th defensively. You know, and the Mavericks were good at defense possible. the year before with with yeah. with Cleaver and and Dorian Finney Smith. Like yeah. they didn't have a perfect defensive roster before, and they managed to be quite strong on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Luca being okay would go a big ways to it too. And and Kyrie honestly is like is also okay sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think he's a, like a garbage. Like I think he can be a better defender than like you know than than dame or something like that like he he does have the ability to compete on that end when he yeah wants to. i mean i guess he's a little bit bigger than dame not by much though i just think he also is like he's a little bit like feistier in his one-on-one matchups like yeah. dame just still like dame never learned how to not die on a screen he just like sees a screen and he's just like i guess i'm, I'm okay going not, to bed i'm okay with not being a damian lillard fan anymore <laughs> Taking a yeah, not meaning to attack your your boy while he's still your boy for however longer. We're gonna get to a little bit of that, I think, yeah. today. Any other Mavericks thoughts? Nope. I mean, I'm I'm excited. I I want to see this team succeed. I want to see more contender level teams in the West. You know, maybe this this team isn't quite at that level, but like they have the star power and they should be awesome on offense. So they should be a good watch. Okay, so our next team here is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Another. Yet another team that had a very dramatic up and down season last year. What did the Timberwolves get up to this summer, Simon? It wasn't as dramatic this summer as it was last off season. Sorry to That's, disappoint. That is true. Yeah, yeah. There um, were they did not have a dramatic off season. Just a no. just a NBA season. Couple of minor signings. I mean, the biggest thing of their off season. I'll start with I'll start with the big stuff this time. But the biggest news was the Anthony Edwards five year rookie supermax coming in so he's he's with the franchise long term let's all let's all hope let's hope so and then Nas Reed was also extended on a three years 40 something million yeah he, he was making north of 10 million a year and it was yes. for three years yes three years 40-ish million and then just a couple signings around the edges Troy Brown Jr. he was okay on the Lakers kind of like a deep rotation guy don't think he saw many minutes come playoff time. They signed Shake Milton from the Sixers. And they also re-signed Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which I thought was sneakily a pretty decent signing. I think it's important to keep him around. He's kind of had a career evolution. It's funny because, you know, Austin Rivers was previously on the Timberwolves. And I feel like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is kind of undergoing the same character arc in many ways, you know, where he was just kind of like a shoot first gunner. And then he's kind of evolving into like this kind of decent on ball stopper. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was tremendous defensively for us down the stretch. And one thing I think he's got going on compared to Austin rivers is just actually having some decent NBA size. Like he's the same size as Josh green, like where Austin rivers kind of like always looked a bit like, like a, a teenager that always looked a little bit like a coach's son though. Austin Reeves was sorry. Austin rivers was, was solid for us in in terms of his role and stuff like that. And I think he managed to 
stick around in the NBA for reasons beyond that. But yeah, Nikhil would just shadow guys sometimes in terms of matchups and was able to guard up a position. I was actually, because I hadn't seen him consistently in a good while because he just hadn't really found a landing place in New Orleans or Utah. So when he arrived late in the season, I was just like, you got, you got kind of, you got kind of big. Yeah. I, man, regrets. You know, he was with the Blazers for like a week or something. <laughs> and we just, we cut bait. Now he hasn't really, the shot still hasn't stabilized. And so right. That's a yeah. Big but we could just, for this year. the like, Blazers just needed a defensive perimeter guy last year so badly. We had it, but. But who knows, like, you know, this was a recent development. You don't know mm-hmm. what, like, you never know whether things would have worked out the same way. And other things. Oh yeah. No, he, he, was... he had to be involved in that Timberwolves culture. That's really, that was the final <laughs> <missing> ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know being put into a specific role as a stopper because he wasn't like no one was noticing his defense in utah yeah. even though like you know earlier that he played more games in utah than he did in minnesota yeah. sometimes also it's like easier to play with a big uh, front court when you're a point of attack defender having a big behind you changes everything so you can be like a lot a lot more aggressive where when your responsibilities are sort of like don't be too aggressive because you're also going to need to help in the paint because we're probably going to leak a hole somewhere. It kind of changes the whole context. Like a lot of really great perimeter defenders have earned their reputation while there was just like a very monstrous back line. Like a lot, like not everyone is Alex Caruso, but he also like, I watched him in the team Canada games as well. He didn't shoot the ball well there, but was again, playing the same kind of on his toes defense looked really disciplined and energetic on that end. So I'm pretty optimistic about, you know, I think he's going to, I think he, out of all the sort of like wing guard wing kind of players in the rotation, I think he's kind of, like the number one off the bench for that mm-hmm. group, like whether he's the backup small forward or whether he's getting his minutes at shooting guard. I think like, you know, he's ahead of Shake Milton and Troy Brown Jr. Yes. Assuming that, assuming that Kyle Anderson is mostly playing it at power forward. Yes. He'll play like he'll, he'll play some small forward as well. And that I'm sure is, is more than everyone wanted to know about the Minnesota Timberwolves eighth man in the rotation. For that <laughs> Yeah, we can't, we can't, hey, we're, we're, it's a step up from Markeith Morris, but yeah, <laughs> anyways, getting into like, like, I think there's a really solid rotation in place here, and I think we know everyone wants to fall, like there's a really, there's a locked in starting lineup with Conley, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Towns, Gobert, and then Nas has a backup big who does Nas things, he, you know, like drives really hard and can hit shots. Uh, Kyle Anderson last year, especially before the Mike Conley trade, basically was like our point guard. We'll see how the guard rotation shakes out because it's like Shake Milton, Nikhila Alexander Walker. There's some young guys. There's Jordan McLaughlin still kicking around, but we, we, you know, we also signed a couple of point guards for for training camp, like big point guards. So that kind of tips a hat about the vision. Like you already, where Dyshawn Dyshawn Nix is in there. So yeah, I th- I just think that there's a really solid starting lineup in place and good backups in every position except for maybe point guard but even there i'm not Mm. worried because kyle anderson handles the ball a lot anthony edwards is definitely ready for more playmaking reps and i think it's actually important that he has that responsibility to continue his development as a player everyone's so excited about Ant right now right like he's like he's one of the more hyped young guys yes. in the nba no fiba fiba was huge for ants probably more so than anyone else on team usa coming into this season and coming off the playoff series he had against Denver, where he just looked like the fully yeah. realized version of himself for for five short games, five normal length games, but five games nonetheless. So yeah, watching him, I'm still really like, you know, when you're a fan of a player, so you're you're rooting for their success and hoping that they 
achieve the best version of themselves, but you're yeah. also the most terrified and the most well-informed about how how it could all go wrong kind of thing. So I would like to see him get some playmaking reps and be more pressured as a decision maker. And I was listening to Chris Finch, the coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, talking on a podcast with JJ Redick. And I feel like his comments about Anthony Edwards, you know, he was pumping him up, obviously, but also kind of a similar sentiments to me. It's just kind of like, he, he said something like, Ant's got so much talent, maybe too much talent for where he's at right now. Because <laughs> as you saw on Team USA, there was just never a pull-up jumper that he would pass up and there was yeah. never a rim run that he wouldn't go after. So the decision-making tree is still a little bit worrisome. And when he has a great game, he just looks like, Michael Jordan and and people saw that in the playoffs and they're all hyped but when you watch him every single game you're a little bit like he doesn't do that every night like sometimes he like clanks his way to like a four for 22 just like pull up festival and the one big thing that Chris Finch really wants him to have more in his game is to take more catch and shoot threes because he's really good at them like the he's actually been consistently good at them since he's come into the NBA but he he kind of likes to make things a little bit harder on himself he really loves those dribble pull-ups Yes, he does. Kind of, it's. I feel like, I feel like his game on the perimeter is a little bit Tatum esque. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. There's a lot. I feel there's this. I don't want to get like anti-American here at all, but I feel like there's this like skill set that's coming out of like the American high school system. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> like they all, like everyone has this. Like they put so much emphasis on like on like here's my dribble package and here's my like pull up counters. Yeah. And they all have the same moves. Yeah. Like they all have different bodies and different movement patterns. But like at a certain point, like a lot of these players are kind of like funneling themselves into this idea of a role. And it's totally like, you know, based on Kobe and, you know, they, they want to have they want to have both the incredible dribbling package of like a Kyrie Irving and the the pull up counter ability of Kobe. I mean, that sounds awesome. Right. But sometimes it steers them away from like remember that like getting to the rim and getting wide open three pointers are really useful things for an offense as well as creating playmaking opportunities. Cause I feel oh, yeah. the skill set does not play into passing at all. So mm -hmm. they're like, they're practicing these counters and I'm like, what if while you're like in your bag, someone's like open on a cut, like, are you seeing that? Or are you like, are you lost in the bag? Cause I feel like a lot of this, like, I see that happens with Tatum. And that happens with Ant. Like you're lost in the bag right now. There's other stuff going on. You don't see it because you're kind of in a one-on-one -on -one individual workout. Like, and it, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it optimizes players. And it's usually the players that break free of that in in some way. That, that like, really become you know, the stars. Yeah, that's how you become like, because Tatum and Ant are both like MVP level talents. Oh yeah. Like, you don't get that much more talented. So them figuring out ways to like, get out of the mid-range bag sometimes like have those counters for when things are tough but find ways finding ways for easier offense is just something i don't see with either of those players so i think you're bang on with that comparison yeah i mean that's just it's more just i guess the the tendencies that they have on the perimeter and and kind of how they're running an offense outside of a set yeah. looks very similar but totally but yeah i guess i mean the looming question is of course, you know, how things are going to pair with Gobert and Kat and Anthony Edwards sharing the floor this season. Is it going to work defensively? Is it going to work offensively? Is it just kind of going to be, you know, good, but not great as it was for stretches of last year? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Well, I think like the the fan base is really optimistic and the team's really optimistic. Everyone, you know, if you if you really paid attention to the Wolves last year, and I don't blame anyone for not paying attention uh, to the to the Wolves last year, but it wasn't the season wasn't all bad. It no. was it was more like dramatically up and down some really like humiliating losses to bad teams, some really inspiring stretches of really strong defense. It was kind of like the tale of three teams. Like we had the initial starting lineup with, with D'Lo Edwards, Jaden Townsend, Gobert, yep. And then, and, th- and that was sort of like a disaster to start the season. Uh, Gobert was just coming off of the Euro basket and cat got sick at the last second and lost like 30 pounds. And then they didn't get a training camp together. And then cat got injured. And then we kind of moved slow-mo to the point guard. So we, we, we put the ball in his hands. Well, cat missed like to... two thirds of the season. Yeah. Like the cat was gone. Like after cat was out, that's when they started figuring they changed their identity and mm-hmm. kind of figured things out. Like they leaned more into defense. They were top five defense for the whole middle chunk of the season with the slow-mo point forward thing and turning D'Lo into more of a pure scorer. And then Cat comes back and we also traded D'Angelo Russell for Mike Conley. So like, and then there was also some like ups and then Jaden McDaniels punches a, punches a wall and Nas Reed gets hurt and slow-mo gets injured. And yet we were still kind of fun and feisty in that playoff series. So yeah. everyone on the Timberwolves is like very excited for another chance to show that this works. But I think everyone knows that like, if it doesn't, if they had come out to another slow start, it's going to be an NBA media circus around them. Just everyone's going to be making, making fun of them again. And there's going to be more internal panic at that point. I just kind of wonder if things don't work. I mean, we can be optimists and say that it will, but if things don't work, like what's the out? Trading towns. Right. But for what? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he plays. Like, or does it really matter? Like... I mean, the team's already pretty good without him. So as long as you get something of value right you don't necessarily have to get a player of Towns's caliber in return in order to need, maintain need competitiveness they'll need another guard at some point like conley's yeah. conley's old we'll see um, if he holds up the season i mean he he had a lot of trouble doing that his last two years with the jazz and he was he was rejuvenated when he was traded to the timberwolves and you know his ability to kind of grease the wheels offensively was really what their offense could use but and he was a huge part of why utah was so good at the beginning of the season like yeah that's true people people keep pretending like utah is bringing their roster back i'm like they weren't good without mike conley like yeah like they went completely in a tank mode after those trades so i mean yeah but he's, he's like i always say with players that age just like anything you get out of them is a bonus don't like they oh, could yeah. fall apart tomorrow and you're not allowed to to cry about it like it's just the sort of reality and they don't have another guard behind him like nope. there's no there's point guard minutes there, but like, especially if he, if he goes out, that's going to fundamentally change the rotation. I like, you know, is shake Milton going to start? Like, I have no idea, but I think it's much more important. Like I'm not banking on Conley's health. I think the bigger questions with the wolves are, does towns have like, get back to looking like he's kind of an all NBA caliber player and does Gobert bounce back or continue to regress? Cause I think if Gobert continues to regress, that will validate all the criticism of the trade. It'll just turn it into a definitely bad trade. Where well, right this, now, the summer was like, pretty rough for Gobert. He yeah, did not have he was like, like a yeah. Phoebus showing. Yeah, he looks rickety. He looks yeah. just like, he doesn't look as strong as he used to. There's just a lot more situations where he just seems to kind of fall down and collapse. he doesn't look like, as quick as he used to there's a lot of guys that just kind of were beating him with speed to the basket yeah. and he was just like half a second too slow yeah he's so, always looked like kind of awkward but it it just he looked 10 percent more awkward this year and he's yeah. 30 he's still well, 31 now 
and some guys some some guys do start falling apart he hasn't been a big he hasn't been a big injury guy though so like this shouldn't be a guy who's physically falling apart at 30 30 yeah i also want to point out he did not solve minnesota's rebounding issues like that was another area where he was rickety like it was we got killed on the boards all year with rudy out there and he was supposed to kind of be a catch-all solution to that and that really that didn't happen (laughs) but that all being said the team's much more built for rudy in year two like it was really, it was really awkward to realize that Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell did not know how to throw lob passes. Yeah. Towns was the only one in the starting lineup who could throw a lob pass and he got injured. And that's why we had to put the ball in slow-mo's hands. But now we've got Conley and slow-mo and Towns all starting the season healthy. Yeah. So he should be able to be put in a position to thrive because it's not like Towns gets in Gobert's way. Like, and I really hope that Towns gets recalibrated as more of a like driver and shooter this year and they ditch the post-ups unless he's going to put on a bunch of weight again because he's gotten so skinny. Like he couldn't post up anyone. <laughs> he was like not not even like post. He looked awesome in, in FIBA though, by the way. He was like yeah. really oh, dominating yeah. with threes and drives. So yeah. I want him to be a threes and drives kind of guy. That's my... Threes drives movement shooter. Although I will say, I mean, he had a pretty significant size and speed advantage in FIBA, which he's not always going to have on the NBA. I guess, well, depending on who's defending him, right? Um, well, he should be able to put himself in a situation where he always has one of those advantages against any matchup. Like, yeah, that's true. But he, but he hasn't been doing that. Like, if he doesn't, if he doesn't have the strength matchup anymore, like he was so strong when he came into the NBA, he was just like beasting from day one, and he looked so like he looked so like athletic and powerful at Kentucky. And then he's kind of just, you know, he got a lot of injuries and he's had some personal tragedies and he's had these mm-hmm. badly timed illnesses. But I'm like, can you get back to like being someone that people just can't handle? Because right now he's kind of doing it all with skill and the physical part of his game is kind of like waned considerably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you're looking forward to the Timberwolves season. I mean, both of us are not as high as this year as we were last year, considering they're kind yeah, of like yeah. in the middle of our preview, you know, we have them roughly in the middle of the league here, maybe like a lower seed or in the play-in, but yeah, I just hope, I, I think they'll be a little bit more consistent than they were last year. Health, yeah. health permitting. So I think like, you know, they finished last year with, they're around five forty-two and 40. Yeah. And so I feel like this year seventh in the West. Yeah. So I feel like this year, the goal is to just like try to be a 51 team. Yeah. And if you fall a little bit short of that, Okay, like you know, it is a very parody sort of place, but just and also just stop losing to garbage teams. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is also a team that could completely fall apart, and I'm ready for that. One other, just one other quick note because we didn't really mention it much is that Jaden McDaniel's looks very ready to like break out on offense. He really flashed some advanced ball handling skills last year, and I, in my opinion, he's already like a top two wing defender in the NBA. Oh, but yeah, definitely. It, if I just don't know if there's room for him to break out on this team, like I feel like he's going to end up stuck, you know, with with the catch and shoot looks and not being allowed to handle the ball. So I kind of hope that he can be integrated into the offense better because he looks hungry for it. He looks like he really wants to drive an attack, and he looks like he has the ability to do that a bit. So I'd love to see some some Jaden emphasis em- emphasis in the offense. Well, that might pair nicely with Conley and with Slow Mo. You know, yeah. you have a couple of playmakers who are kind of more set up guys and more aware of a guy who is able to get himself open off ball like that. Yeah. I always say we have a bunch of, we have a bunch of smart passers around our three dummy stars, like go bear yeah. towns and, and, and I just do not trust the sort of like decision-making ability of any of them, but I really love all those role players doing it. Yeah. Um, there's also an interesting little young core 
here that I don't know if like we'll see if one of them can seize a rotation role this year because they got Leonard Miller, Josh Minot, and Wendell Moore Jr. All as like guys who might get a chance to crack the rotation or might not like, you know, play serious minutes at all this year. Yeah, I mean, Wendell Moore, you know, I thought coming out of Duke, he was an older player, was really solid defensively in college, could spot up from three. You know, I, I thought he was going to like carve out a little bit of a niche role immediately in the NBA and that didn't really end up happening last year but maybe this is the season for him. maybe or maybe like i don't see a clear rotation role for him off the top but if he can play backup shooting guard there's like mm-hmm. that's where the minutes are but I, again i wouldn't be surprised if it, all these guys spent most of the season on the bench but i also think i wouldn't be surprised i just one or two of them could steal a rotation role from a veteran if they underperformed yeah totally okay we are moving on to our next team all right, now it's my favorite team to talk about, I think, in the whole season preview. It is time to talk about Bricktown, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder. So calling it Bricktown really threw me off from being able to say Oklahoma City. Oklahoma just didn't sound like a word all of a sudden. Yeah. And hey, I think... They, I think They got, they got uh, Bertons now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how you know. <laughs> Can't call it Bricktown anymore. <laughs> but yeah it is it is time and i just want to make a really hot take right off the bat before we get into the actual details and i think this team is winning 50 games if they're healthy this year that would be a marketed improvement from last season but i mean well, they're they won 40 last year That's not right and they're they are adding an actual center in chet yeah. holdgren i guess depending yeah. on how much how much weight chet is able to put on before the start of the season I think that's a huge, that's a, I've definitely got a note on that. Is that he like, has put on, you know, like 15-ish pounds of muscle, at least from the time he was drafted, at least. Yeah. You know, based on reports we've seen, pictures we've seen. So maybe Chet isn't going to be a fully realized five his uh, second year in the NBA, but he's trending in the right direction. We don't like confidently know what Chet is going to be just because we haven't seen it yet. And if he's bad, that will all on its own, like hold back the thunder another year, I think. But assuming he's like, okay, as a rookie, even that's what my, like yes. my 50 win projection is like Chet's check. Chet's okay. He does some of the things that we expect him to at a good enough level that the thing that he's not holding the thunder back in any kind of way. Right. I mean, but their, their five man rotation last year was already pretty, I mean, it was already like the weak spot of the team. Well, yeah. I mean, they're just so small. They're like, it, they're it just feels very like much the only way to go is up, even if Chet isn't awesome out of the gates. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I mean, you know, like Jalen Williams was very, Jalen, the center one, the big man version, yeah. was very solid for them at the end of the season. Yeah. Just in terms of like a big enough body that was also spacing the floor pretty yep. well. So in theory, just if Chet was out there taking up all those minutes and he was awful and he was just like a liability on both ends, then they could they could backslide there. But I don't think that is likely because Chet's like, I mean, Chet was a really good college player. Chet looked good in summer league. Um, well, you, you got me with the irrefutable argument. What if, what if one of their main rotation guys just sucks? <laughs> we can <laughs> but say we that know, for team, right? No, but but like it's a rookie, right? Essentially. Like he's yeah. like a special rookie, but like we, we know – there's a, a different range of expectations for, for Shea, for, for J-Dub, for, for Lou Dort and Josh Giddy, but Chet, yes. we don't really know quite the range of expectations. He could yeah. be amazing. He could be the rookie of the year, or he could like struggle more than we expect with like the physicality of the NBA and the size. And maybe he's just like it, the, the, the shots not there. I don't know. There's like, I'm just, he, he's the one I'd be the most like, 
worried about. Not I'm not really worried. I just like the one that I have the least certainty about. Where I feel really good about most of the other players on this team. No, no, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I mean, there's some concerns with Chet, just how he'll hold up to the physicality. But like, it's a skinny guy friendly league now, and he has great defensive instincts, as we've seen in college and summer league. Yeah. And those don't always immediately translate over to the NBA. But like, I'd be surprised if he's horrible. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I was watching this like some uh, what's his name Pablo Escobar a TikTok account, an NBA TikTok account. He's pretty funny, pretty and 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 fairly insightful. Mostly does like jokes, but seems to know a little bit of basketball. And he started off this podcast talking about dudes who bulked up versus versus skinnier bigs. And at first, I thought he was just kind of like gonna have like two examples, and it wasn't. It was gonna be a big nothing take. But then he just kind of kept going for a while, and I was like, ah, you're kind of convincing me, like. And we are about to see the rise in terms of the big man. This skinnier bigs doing better in kind of a more modern context. There's a, the longevity of just like, and he just you know like guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of the examples, yeah. and just like and a lot of guys who bulked up a lot, not even just in the big position, but just sort of like some players who put on uh, muscles really struggling more with injuries over their career. Sure. And yeah. that basketball, like it, it might not, it might boost you in the short term to have a lot more strength, but being, being this like explosive strength bound player, being a, an archetype of less, less long get longevity than, um, well, yeah. And the slender, the slender men. And we've seen this, like Tim Duncan was a top five defense unto himself essentially for like a decade. And he was pretty skinny later in his career. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't Kevin say skinny. Net. I mean, he was, he was lean, right? Lean, but strong. Yeah. And KG is another one. And then you have like, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into the Thunder's offseason. Mm-hmm. So, they had one. yes, they did. They made one trade on draft nights. So they picked up Bertans for the privilege of moving up two spots in the draft. And they selected Kaysan Wallace out of Kentucky with that pick, number 10 overall. I know you're pretty high on Kaysan Wallace. And in terms of other offseason moves, they picked up Victor Oladipo for draft assets. Is that right? Some second round picks. And they signed Vasily Micic, who was EuroLeague MVP two seasons ago, I believe, and has dropped off a little bit in his EuroLeague production since then. But he's still only like 28, 29, so he's not old. So that could be a pretty solid pickup for them, just kind of at the backup guard position, especially if, you know, I don't I don't know if Kaysan Wallace is going to be ready to step into that playmaking role right away, so they'll, they'll need that. Not a lot of other notable new moves. They did sign Jack White to a contract, and, yeah, that's about it. Just a couple yeah, other things around the margins, but, you know, not, not a super exciting offseason for the Thunder. Definitely the main thing is going to be Chet playing. Yeah. And then we'll see what they what they have in Kason, but you know they they were high on him, high enough to try yeah. to move up the draft. And with the Thunder's draft record, that can often that can often mean good things um, for the prospect they're looking at. And one of the one of the one of the reasons there wasn't a whole lot of moves. I mean, they could have made moves in the other direction, but like there are eighteen guys now with guaranteed money on this on this team. Yeah, they're gonna um, have to trim the roster a bit just to make it to their opening mm-hmm. day. And even like being even being strict, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at their depth chart, and it's like 15 to 17 like highly like you know, theoretical rotation players or guys that yeah. you either have been getting minutes or like you you'd like them to get minutes, or they're just like solid, a weird mix of both like young prospects like who's yeah. Yang and 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 Trey Mann, and then sort of like established helpful veterans like Aaron Wiggins and 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 Kenrick and Kenrich Williams. Jeremiah Robinson Earl like they're going to probably I was trying to figure out who they're gonna have to cut 
Oh, I have ideas. <laughs> Give me your ideas. I, I, I think too. I think there is a, a pretty clear three guys that I would I would trim off the thunder and not miss. But I, I'm I'm curious if we have the same. Oh, yeah, cut okay. him. See if yeah. I'm cutting him too. I'm definitely not a big fan. It's it's showing on Spotrack that they still have Usman Garuba, but I know they've already cut bait with him. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't have him. Yeah. I had to figure that out too. I'm very comfortable moving on with moving on for Poku. Oh, you think Poku will get cut? He was not on my list. Well, he's already hurt. He's already going to miss the first few weeks of the season. Also, like I mean, Poku is really fun, but Poku is awful. Like yes. even though he put up <laughs> like really like, bad, like some of the numbers were trending up that year, and he still makes plays that leave you like, wow, what was that? But like they were, they were negative twelve with him on the floor. Yeah, he's one of those guys where even with him off, even when he's doing things, even when he gets the occasional block, even when he hits the occasional spot up three, even if he scores a bit, even if he gets a few dimes, it's not helping the team win in any kind of meaningful way. He definitely makes plays, but uh, but he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't do any yeah. sort of basic stuff. And I think like one of the reasons the, the Thunder weren't, I think the Thunder were very sneakily just ready to go last year, like could have made the playoffs, but they spent- They're close. They spent a good, yeah, they got really close. They made the play in and they got eliminated in, in, in the first game, but Poku was awful and he played for the first half of the season. So yes. that like that that makes them unserious, like right off the bat. Also, the good the the guard Jalen Williams was injured to start the season for a few games and then had to work his way back into the rotation. That was part of the reason Poku was getting more minutes because they kind of used Jalen Williams as like a four a lot of the time. But then they also let the whole season they let Lou Dort just just shoot whatever shot he wanted, and that was not a good thing either. And then whenever Trey Mann would come in, he would also get to shoot whatever that's, shot he wanted. That's guy number two that I would yeah, cut. Trey Mann is on Trey my Dan. list. Yeah, I would like for them to cut him. I don't see any future with him on the team considering the guards that they just brought in in this offseason. Like he's to me, he's below all of them for both maybe like not for future against against Michich, but like against present for both of them. I'd rather see Case on Wallace and and get those minutes. And then I don't see him as having this monster potential going forward. Yeah. Even though like, you know, he he does look like he has the look of a of a guard that could, you know, become pretty explosive offensively. But like when are they gonna need that when they have Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jalen Williams on this roster? Like at what point are you gonna need like a guard that comes in and can chuck threes and like it just it's just not going to be that useful considering the other needs they have in their roster i just don't see a spot for him here i think he's right. like probably worth a look somewhere else but i think okc has already moved on from trey man being a fit here yeah i think those are two pretty clear cuts and then they do isaiah joe's on a non-guaranteed deal but i think they'll bring him back and then aaron wiggins is on a non-guaranteed deal i i think they're probably fine to cut bait with aaron wiggins that's a tough one because he has he's played a well for them. Spot up shooter, but he he's a really small wing. Yeah, I don't know if there's much defensive impact there. And they they also signed Jack White, who's kind of just a bigger and stronger version of Aaron Wiggins. Yeah, but less um, established. Sure, like Aaron Wiggins has already been good. Yeah. So we don't we don't know we don't know what Jack White's going to be. Okay, I'll say I'll, I'll say the cut bait with one of those two guys. Because they kind of fulfill the same role, yeah. And then my last guy, because they still have one roster spot to get rid of. I I do think they'll keep Bertans and Oladipo around for a potential trade because those are pretty valuable expiring deals. Just to make make a trade work, I do think the last guy they might cut bait with, and this kind of breaks my heart because I really like him, but it also don't say it. 
it also makes me excited because I really want the Portland Trail Wizards to pick him up is uh, JRE. Yeah. Yeah. I love JRE. I know the Oklahoma City fan base was pretty disappointed with him in year two. He didn't take a step forward. He was slightly less successful as a finisher. He just didn't. He was he was a really awesome rookie and immediately was able to do his thing. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of just like didn't have as good of a year in year two. I'm not like I think they should keep him. I think like he really fits the rotation this year in terms of like I think that's the kind of player you could put next to Chet, especially with when Chet's younger and could just use a guy who is just like strong and aggressive and like a gap filler. So who would you I, get like, rid of? I would. Yeah, you, got, you got to pick two guys because you're keeping yeah, both two, right? Trey Mann, Jack White, and Victor Oladipo. So you're also getting rid of Aaron Wiggins. Oh, I got to cut four. You got to yeah, cut I another mean, guy. I, yeah. I mean, I like Jerry a little bit more than Aaron Wiggins. It's, it's a shame. Like Aaron Wiggins is not the kind of player that should get cut. It's like such a raw no, deal he's, for he's him fine. to play the way he has yeah. and get cut. But he'll, him, get, he'll get picked out someone else. Um, we'll, we'll take yeah. him. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would be more desperate. To, I, I'll be... It'll it'll hurt me if JRE gets cut, so I'm going to be biased here and and hold on to him. I also think on the note about Oladipo and the tradable contracts thing, I mean it's really it's a really good point. But I also like to point out like right now the Thunder have like 60 million in tradable contracts without really touching their core. Yeah, like they're true. they're not going to have that many after they make some of these cuts. But you know, just yeah. like like Lou Dort with 15 million, Bertans with 17 million, Oladipo with nine, Michich with seven. Kenrick with six, Poku with five, like that's 60 million right there. And so if you trim that to 50 million, if you trim that to 30 million, you're not taking yourself out of any trade conversation. So that they, they don't need that much spare money lying around unless they're really married to one of those players. Yeah. Like if they really, if Dort is in their long-term vision, I've already kind of stated my opinion on, I mean, I'm fine with like Dort still being on the team if they, they did kind of the Memphis, the Taylor Jenkins move where they like all the role players are allowed to just attack to their heart's content. And Lou Dort was very excited to do that. Just oh, yeah. drove to the rim relentlessly and missed and shot the three relentlessly and missed. And it was just like, what is going on here? And they were like, like it wasn't just a marginal thing. Like yeah. they were like almost dead last in the league and effective field goal percentage and rim scoring on a team that has Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's like the best guard rim scorer in the NBA, and Jalen Williams, who had 77 dunks last year, the most of any player under six foot six. Like, they like this team should be a top five rim punishing team. Maybe not because they don't have like a rim rolling big man, but like Dort, Poku, and Trey Mann basically just disqualified them from being effective. One of the things they're the best at. I'm like, we they don't do that again unless you're unless you're, you know, like not serious about this year. And I feel like they spent a lot of last year being unserious. And I'm very curious to see whether they're going to trim some of that fat so in their offensive strategy and the rotation. What do you see their starting lineup being this coming season? Because I I yeah. think I kind of agree with you that Dort needs to be jettisoned. So I do have Dort starting right now because I still like, okay. I, like not because I wouldn't start him. I would actually start JRE or Kenrick Williams. At the I, would, I was going to go Kenrick Williams. Yeah. yeah. And I put Shea and Jalen Williams in the backcourt with mm -hmm. Josh Giddy on the wing. If Lou Dort plays, it's going to be for Kenrick Williams or. or that's two non-shooting wings <laughs> I know. surrounding well, Shea and Chet who's, you know, Chet's jump shot is sneakily not that reliable. Yeah, you know, I'd say none he's of a great mid-range shooter, but he didn't have three-point range in college. 
we'll see who is a non-shooter this year because like all of those guys are like a step away from being it. Like it's kind of like I think when we were talking about the Knicks in a, in a previous podcast, we're kind of we we're talking like going over how like when you build a team out of a bunch of okay maybe okay shooters it can really go north or south really fast as we saw with the knicks yeah everything went well and they had a good shooting season and they made the second round of the playoffs and then we saw the raptors mm-hmm. with the same kind of shooting talent have a really bad shooting year and it tanked their season so i think okc is in risk of that happening we know that shea and jalen williams can both shoot the ball a lot better than they did i really think jalen williams could have like a easily have like a 40 percent shooting season from three i think he's a really good shooter like he hasn't done that yet in his career but i would not be surprised if that happened Shea doesn't shoot a lot of them so i don't think that's gonna move and i don't think he should shoot a lot of them but he's like yeah. a capable shooter he's not a bad one giddy's the only one where it's like i something pretty dramatic would have to happen to change because it's like you know the form is just you, like that's not gonna get better he did improve quite a bit his sophomore year in the NBA though. Yes, he did, but he, it's easy to improve from like, you know, zero to one or whatever. He shot a better percentage. Uh, yes. He shot less. And then he came out like, a, I don't know if you watched Australia play, but he, it, it just looked bad again. Like I'm just, yeah. it wasn't encouraging. He could have a better year shooting the ball, but I feel like a good year for Josh Giddy is like shooting close. To be to fair, that's just play. kind of Australia's vibe. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then Lou Dort, like, I don't, I don't know. He's like, he's, just pretty consistently been like a 33% shooter that takes a lot of them. So I would, I would go a slightly different direction than you in terms of the starting lineup. I actually, I I think the shooting can reach a point where it's, it's just not super tenable (laughs) for having a passable offense. So I would not start Lou Dort and I would have Isaiah Joe in there. Um, Yeah. I'm fine with that. He's the best best shooter on the team. And I also think like, you know, Josh Giddy is big and he's continuing to put on muscle every single year. I think we've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of like, I want Josh Giddy guarding bigger wings. I think he has the strength and tenacity to do it. I think they should play him at power forward. Yeah. Also I was looking into their, 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 like their passing numbers and like like the the play tracking passing numbers and realizing like Shea and Jalen, didn't really pass to each other that much meaning yeah. like, and then when you look at Josh Giddy's numbers with all of them, it's just like a million passes to game to everyone. So he very, very like, he's very much functioning as a bit of a playmaking hub in their drive and kick offense. Their drive and kick offense is really good and really fun, especially if they can stop again, letting Lou Dort shoot a million times, but it seemed to be a lot of like Shea or Jalen passing to Giddy and Giddy, like Giddy being that connective playmaker that was like getting it to the, you know, creating these things and the other guys getting the hockey assist or whatever. So I would like to see him kind of in the middle of the floor where they kind of like, they put Jalen on the baseline a lot last year and Shea way up at the top. And then they put Giddy on the, like on the wing, but I feel like they should more focus on him being kind of that, like almost like a Draymond style playmaker where he's like kind of setting a lot of screens coming in and out of the paint, spending basically no time in three point shooting possessions besides Mm -hmm. in the corner and just being this kind of playmaking monster. And then, yeah, you want shooting around him. Like you can't like make, have Giddy or, or Chet be your, be your worst shooter. So if that's Isaiah Joe, I mean, they already know he can shoot the ball. There's some other candidates. Maybe we get some development from Usmani and maybe they do a trade. I think um, if things are going well this season, they should. I mean, they still have a lot of picks to get off. They can't, they can't draft people and retain, you know, the, the players they drafted as well as the players that they currently have and are already excited about. So you know, I know it, a, a lot of their picks aren't necessarily exciting. I mean, I do I do like the Clippers picks yeah. the next couple of years. But aside from that, 
you know, it, it's a lot of probably going to be late first, especially as the Thunder continue to get better. So might as well cash well, some of those they, guys in, even if it's not a huge upgrade. They potentially have Houston's pick this year, though. That's true. But it won't be a top four, right? It'll be five or below. Yeah, that's still, that's, that's a nice pick. <laughs> If it, if it, if if it hits, um, yeah, I really want to see how good this draft class is. We've been hearing for months that this is like awful, you know, draft class. Like two thousand, what was it? Two thousand fourteen was that really bad one? You know, to me, like all comparable to that. And it might be, it might not be, but you know, that's kind of the me, common thought right now. Yeah, yeah. But to me, that all that ever means is that there's not a clear cut generational prospect in there. That's like because like to be. For media people, not for scouts. Scouts have a better handle on on this kind of thing, and they and they are the first layer of information. But media players don't really start. Like a lot of media guys haven't even started the scouting. Half these guys. Yes. So if they don't, if there's not that one or two, like you know, we knew that both Scoot and and Victor were coming for a long time, so we knew this was a a good draft class. But we didn't know as much about you know guys three to until they started developing and and people always like it it goes from being a weak draft class to a sort of intriguing one pretty fast and yes. there might not be a trend like a it's maybe not a great year to like hunt for the number one pick but there might be we might be talking about like oh there's a lot of depth in this class and i've started my scouting a little bit early and i'm already kind of like intrigued by at least mm-hmm. like 10 guys so well i'll, we'll, I'll, put we'll it, that changes. I'll put it this way in terms of the draft class being quote-unquote weak uh, the guys that were getting lots of hype coming out of high school last year were not guys that I was all that excited about as NBA prospects. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Lots of small guards, lots of not super athletic big men. But I think that those guys are kind of going to move down and we're going to see the guys who are actually good prospects come out of the woodwork. Yeah, yeah I, think that's a, I think that's a good point. And, you know, it will be, it's a pretty, like, there's a lot of prospects on G League Ignite this year. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of players that have gone overseas after doing overtime elites. And there's like, it's a, anyways, it'll be an interesting draft class to monitor. But anyways, one of the, what you're saying before about OKC and how they have extra assets. Like, I, I don't think it can really be overstated. OKC is about to drown in their own assets. Yes. They already don't like, we just talked about how they have to cut multiple players that they like. That are like, like just in rotation players. <laughs> yeah. That and that's, that's not going to get better. They've got this mountain of, of draft and like the players they have this year will improve. And all, and like all of a sudden, like, you know, one of them pops and we're like, well, we can't get rid of that guy. So I think like people are like, oh, they can be patient. They can like wait it out. I'm like, no, like another wave is coming and it's going to decimate their roster. They need to, they need to like move some stuff around. So I guess like, what do you think that what do you think OKC should be trying to do? Should they be trying to increase their shooting, their size, like, you know, like find another wing upgrade, like the Kenrich Williams type role they have yeah, now? No, or definitely. should they be trying to trade for a star? I think I think they should definitely be trying to solidify the roster to make it make more sense to run Shea. I, I don't know if they're really getting a star. And even if they are, who are they getting that's not over 30? I made a big list of like targets for OKC to go. There's after. a lot of guys who are kind of in their early to mid thirties who could potentially be available this season, depending on there's how some late 20 guys as well. And, you know, I think like, I don't think it's, I kind of wonder if OKC is being like wondering if they can get Giannis into the Kumpo or Joel Embiid. Like they're like, they're sure. going to be able to outbid anyone the moment a trade comes up. Right. Like they're just like, they're, they just have so many more. Well, that's not quite like there's other teams with a lot of assets too, like Utah and, and Houston could, but OKC I think is very uniquely positioned to just like move in a bunch of extra pieces, but 
short of those like really big stars, why don't we just wrap? Can I just rapid fire throw names at you and you give sure. like a brief it? Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I I don't love it. Increases their size, increases their defense. Is what he doesn't give them is more shooting. So he's yeah, I just feel like the offensive fit is awkward. Also, yeah. they'd have to extend him, meaning Pascal would want to extend it in OKC. And, and it, it sounds like the dude loves Toronto and just wants to go back there. So Yeah, yeah, it, it does sound like that. <laughs> that thing where he was just like, I won't sign an extension. I'm going to go. Imagine that happens, like your team trades you away and you're like, I don't care. I I'm, love back. I'm clawing my way back. I'm taking like I'm taking the mid-level exceptions. They don't have cap space. I just love it here. On the same team, though, OG Ananobi. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, I guess that's that's an easy one with anyone. <laughs> that's the easy um, one. Uh, Julius Randle. No. Like shoots a little bit better than Pascal. I think like fits in next well. The things that I said about JRE, Randall can kind of like, I've always liked the idea of Randall when he's absolutely not the star, but just as a guy that's like kind of versatile and big and strong and does a bunch of things. Cause you're not depending on him for any one of those things. I think he's kind of a good player. I, I'm really out on Julius Randall. Sorry. All right. Mikhail I Bridges. I mean, why would Mikhail Bridges be available though? Well, who knows what the Nets are going to do, right? They're in, they're in like complete like section one of a rebuild. If they could just like, if they could get drowned in assets for, for Mikhail Bridges, they might think about it. They might also like, look at, is he already extended? He is, right? I mean, the Nets haven't signed him to an extension. He's on year two of a four-year deal. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's like definitely available, but I think, OKC could chase whoever they wanted and teams would be listening because they're just like, here are the picks we're doing. Here's Remember like when Phoenix signed Mikhail Bridges to like a four-year, 90-something million dollar deal and people were like, oh, that's a lot of money for Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. That's I didn't like even one think of the best of... contracts in the league. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> easily. And that was like, I thought it was a good contract even before he was, you know, projecting as a scoring star. He's another guy. He was one of the, he's one of the few guys that didn't look like a clown for Team USA this year as well. Just sort of like, mm -hmm. it was always nice to have Mikhail Bridges out there. Yes. Kyle Kuzma, another kind of Julius Randle type that just like put him in a different role. Don't ask him to be the star. Him running in transition with like, with this team and being like a drive and kick finisher. I like yeah. Kyle Kuzma as like a finisher type. I do not like him as a play initiator. Solid defensively, good enough shooter. Yeah. I can see how it fills a gap. I mean, the Wizards would probably be thrilled if the Thunder were willing to unload some draft assets and young players for Kuzma. Well, I don't. That's the thing. I don't. I think they would. It would be like contract matching, like a little bit of draft capital. But there's a thing they can afford to just like send away. I guess if the Thunder can get Kuzma without sacrificing a ton, you know, like why not? Um, yeah. Let me sweeten the. Let me let me get a better Kuzma for you, Lowry Markinen. I mean, that's an interesting one. I just don't know why the Jazz would want to do that. A trader Danny would happily accept like a really unfair. Just package. overwhelm them. Yeah. Yeah. I just think they could literally flood, flood you with. I like, mean, I think Lowry would be a, would be a great fit on the thunder. You know, you have um, four solid playmaking passing types surrounding him. Cause Chet yeah. in his own right, like not a bad playmaker out of the post. And then Lowry's just <laughs> on the receiving end of all that. Yeah. The finisher. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton. I'm going to go into some, actually, just like the idea of a center. I'm looking at DeAndre Ayton, Jared sure. Allen, uh, Clint Capella, or Okongwu. Or I just think Robinson. that the Suns would want a center back in return for Ayton. So I'm not sure yeah. the Thunder could offer that. That's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, I think like, I think Jared Allen might might be more the tar target if, if Cavs were a little bit less 
I think Chet you could play with another with another big, which is sort of intriguing. On that note, yeah. I also had well, I had Daniel Gafford on that list. I also had um Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I mean I like the fit with him and Chet better than him and Gobert. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a team where that might be able to mask some of Towns' weaknesses and reap the benefits of of his strengths in terms of just how much shooting he can get in there. Chet is kind of like a roaming weak side guy. That is that's pretty tasty. And just like I mean I think the pitch from OKC is pretty easy. Just like, oh, want us to restore all the draft capital you lost? Like, yeah, of course. Like, want us to get you out of the jail that you put yourselves in? Yeah, that's it. I also mentioned like Buddy here. And just like supercharge, just supercharge the T Wolves with a bunch of depth, which they could definitely yeah. use. Well, that's all. That's it. That's it for trade. I, I do want to just because I, I feel like it would be re- remiss if we just didn't talk a little bit about Shea and Jalen Williams because I just think Shea is possibly the best guard in the nba right now i think it's him or luca or steph and i think there's a gap after that in terms of just like the tools and the production if shea just yes. keeps up what he did last year or like you know changes some things continues to develop in small ways like he's just a monster with his first step and his counter and the other parts of his game like the playmaking and the shooting are things that like i see is like he has high potential to improve at and he's even been like a pretty good defender, not like a perfect yeah. defender yet, but like really can get into the ball on offense. He's a good ball hawk. And then he's like low key, a bit of a rim protector, like drops back and gets blocks. And it's just sort of like, yeah, no, I did. Like, <laughs> I did see him kind of filling that role in a little bit with uh, the world cup. Yeah. He was our, he was our best. Can- Canada <laughs> needed someone to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Kelly Olenek wasn't stepping up. So, so Shea was, yeah. Like, like dropping back and, and, and protecting the rim. So I just think yeah. like, I don't, I don't think it's close to some of the other guys, you know, unless someone like Ant really, really blew up. But like, when I look at like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and all these guys were really good, I'm just like, yeah, but they don't do so many of the things that Shea does. And yeah, yeah I'd say it's definitely good. between him and Steph. I've lost a little bit of my luster for Luca this past yeah. season, just because he's not the two-way player that Shea definitely can be. So. He's just still such an unstoppable monster. And like, I, I just feel like this, the minute Luca gets back in the playoffs and is just demolishing defenses again, right, you're going to be like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Luca is just going to be putting up 40, 12, and 9 <laughs> next Until he round. doesn't just murder people in the playoffs, I'm not going to downgrade Luca based off like a, a, a crappy turmoil season. I'm just like, it, he, he has to, he'd have to stop doing that for me to like sell any Luca stock. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And well, then the other guys, I think Jalen Williams is going to be a star this yeah. year. Like, I think he's, okay. I don't know. I'm not saying like predicting necessarily making the all-star team. You never know how depth works out, but like he's going to do everything he did in the second half of last season. And, and I think more. he's going to shoot it better. Yeah. Like, I just think he's a, I think it's so clear watching him that he's just a monster, like an off the dribble rim attacking playmaking, like shooter with crafty hands on offense and defense. And I just think like, if anyone thinks that Jalen Williams is going to get incrementally better, I don't think that they were watching him last year. Like, I think he's going to blow up from day one. Yeah, no, it wasn't incremental last season. He was legitimately a very high level player, even without a three point shot at the end of last year. Anyways, I was obviously a little too excited to talk about the Thunder. Had lots of stuff to cover. Oh <laughs> uh, so yeah, we covered a lot. No, this was yeah. this was probably our most comprehensive uh, preseason yeah. preview yet. But. I basically only wanted to talk about the Thunder this podcast. So now that's yeah. off my chest. I guess we can move on. Maybe it means we won't get to all the teams today. Yeah. So just like Thunder time. Just going to jump in here really quick and make a comment that when we recorded this podcast, it was right before the Dame Lillard trade went down. 
So we're about to do our final team in this episode, and that's the Miami Heat. Um, and I've gone in and removed a lot of the Dame speculation. Fortunately, we mostly focused on Miami should they not get Dame Lillard, which I guess it was good to have some of that healthy skepticism because that did not work out. If you do want our thoughts and reactions on the Dame Lillard trade, Simon uploaded a great video to our YouTube. Uh, he comes at it from the perspective of being, you know, more of a Portland fan, but he touches on Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, and everyone else sort of affected by the by the bombshell and the and the series, the flurry of trades that went down after it. But anyways, without further ado, here's our 2024 season preview of the Miami Heat. We'll move on to our final team of the podcast here. The yeah. most exciting from a drama standpoint. That is going to be the Heat of Miami. Well, they brought an absolute army of players into training camp. So, like, oh, they yeah, are definitely. very much like they're, they're like, trying. you know, Pat, Pat Riley and Eric Splister, they're just, they're fishing right now. They're looking like, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys on, on two way or exhibit 10 deals. It's just like, yeah. okay, re relax a little bit. I first actually was looking up and down the roster. I was like, eh, things aren't so bad if some of these, if some of these kind of mid tier guys improve this season. And then I was just like, oh, they don't really have a point guard on the roster. <laughs> like, it's like there's this big gaping hole for, for Dame Lillard that, you know, Kyle Lowry and no one else are currently occupying. Like, when I was writing out their depth chart, I was like, I didn't have anyone at point guard after Kyle Lowry. And I was like, I kind of moved Josh Richardson there. Like, yeah, um, it's Josh Richardson, it's thing. Jimmy Butler as pseudo, pseudo point guards, right? And Tyler Hero. And Tyler Hero. Yeah. Like they, they let Tyler Hero be quite a bit of a lead ball handler. So I actually think that's like not as important. But then it's like, okay, so if Tyler Hero is playing and then like if it's a Tyler Hero Josh Richardson lineup, like that's fine. You got your backcourt covered. But after that, it just gets like, okay, you got Duncan Robinson. That's kind of a pretty like specialized sort of player that you have to kind of have to play with different kinds of players. Though so he looked great in the playoffs, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Jaime Hawkes, I'm high on. I think Haywood Highsmith still could you know just a, an incremental improvement from him would have him as a rotation level player and then we'll see if we get anything from i mean caleb martin was awesome last year and then nikola jovic obviously you already mentioned i think there's something and then maybe Thomas jovic Bryant was really them. good for serbia in yeah yeah he looked awesome i mean he looked awesome leading into the draft too he just sort of like hopefully he's ready a little bit more this year he didn't mm -hmm. look like an nba player last year but that would be cool because they could also use the offense because this team just has no, they're just so short on scoring pressure. Yeah. Like we watched the, we got, we watched the heat go through these playoffs, go all the way through these playoffs. And it was like, you're so reliant on either like your, the whole team being completely on fire mm -hmm. and, or like Jimmy going God mode. And neither of those things are things they do every night. Those are not yeah. bankable things at all. Jimmy does not play that way every night. And, and the Heat's fan base insistence that he should be, like how disappointed they were in him in the latter half of the playoffs. Just like, you just thought he was God? Like what? Like, like you just thought he was going to continue doing this the whole playoffs and and that Caleb Martin was going to shoot 52% from three every night. And so was Max Struess. And so was Gabe Vincent. And like, that was never... They were relying on dark magic to get through these playoffs. There's nothing sustainable there in terms of the scoring pressure on this team. They need to play so well and to have things go right to generate good offense. And it happened over and over and over again for them. But there's also a reason this was the, what the 25th ranked defense in the, in the regular season. 
19th or was it even worse than that? I'm trying to, I'm going to bring it up right now. They were the 25th ranked defense. Like that's garbage. This team was garbage last year. And then they got to the playoffs and again, summoned a demon or made a deal with a wizard or whatever it is they did, but they, you can't do that. So many times you only have so many souls you can sell or so many virgin virgins you can sacrifice. And this, this team is really good, but the scoring pressure they do not have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to objectively argue with that, you know, especially it, it definitely wasn't a deep team, even when things were going well and they lost like they lost two really, really key role players from the title run team last season. Yeah, I wanted to be they like... They don't have replacements for them. That's the thing. I wanted to be like, eh, like, you know, I don't think they'll miss those guys too much, except for what you just said. They don't have replacements for them. So all of a sudden, this becomes like, oh, you're going to miss them because you didn't do anything. They had a 7.5-man rotation in the playoffs last year. Like, Duncan Robinson was playing. Cody Zeller was playing. Neither of those guys necessarily looked great all the time. You know, Duncan Robinson hit a few shots, but... Um, Duncan Robinson hit a few shots and also I thought played with a lot of like ferocity like he he played with a really high motor and he seemed like in lots of situations where Duncan Robinson should have been a liability mm-hmm. he just tried like really hard and avoided being yes. a liability I thought he played amazingly I just think there's a ceiling on on Duncan Robinson like but even when it wasn't just about the shooting I thought like this is a player without a whole lot of like physical gifts or athleticism by NBA standards and like he fought really hard to avoid being a liability on defense and just sometimes like he would just cut so hard sometimes i'm just like all right duncan i see you go get it i also think that celtic series and the buck series to a certain extent as well gave some of those marginal heat players an advantage just due to you know especially against the celtics like you don't necessarily you're not faced with a highly complex offense that's asking a lot of you as a defensive player and then you know the celtics effort on defense kind of came and went so much <laughs> there there are plenty of open three-point opportunities to be had in those games where you know the celtics weren't fully engaged yeah yeah definitely but what an incredible run like what that's like that is that's one of the most incredible playoffs. It was, it was fun to watch man watched. yeah like well like just so much like what is happening what is happening oh wait they you know they do have one they got no point guards on the roster but they do have jamari booyah sorry i just really wanted to say his name yeah he's a, he's a point booyah, guard out of game. san francisco yeah but i, I want to say booyah just just for the like <laughs> i don't know if he's going to make the team but jamari booyah is their answer at booyah booyah he had a game against gonzaga because san francisco's okay. in the west coast conference and college basketball same with gonzaga yeah. he had a game where he just absolutely slaughtered us Gonzaga killers. Yeah. They and exist. San Francisco was, you know, one of the only non BYU and non Santa or not, sorry, not Santa Clara. Well, Santa Clara actually beat Gonzaga last year too, I believe. Anyway, San Francisco had some success against Gonzaga for like a two year stretch until their coach left and he's the coach of Florida now. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, just a interesting name that popped up again that has uh, haunted my my dreams in the past. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, we're just here to bring the to make those nightmares for us. Jamari Bouye. Another guy they brought in the training camp is Justin Champagne. Yeah, who I think is really good. He hasn't really had a chance yet in the NBA, but I saw Former him. Former Raptor, right? Yeah, that's where I saw him play the most. I didn't follow him on Boston last year. I didn't watch a whole lot of Boston last year until the playoffs, but he's a really good offensive rebounder with a good nose for the ball. And the ability to like, you know, he's not a, he's not a shooting liability and he's got some defensive versatility. So like, I'd be surprised if he didn't get added to that sort of like 
armada of like Miami kind of mid-tier, mid-size wings that they use to prop up everything. Like, yes. you know, I don't I don't see him as fundamentally different from like Caleb Martin, for example. They brought in Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant had a pretty rough year last year. Yeah. And I think he was like hurt and didn't play the year prior to that. So it's been a couple, it's been a bit since we've seen Thomas Bryant being an impactful rotation player. He was uh, good in LA for a, for a stretch. Like last year, like, like like Anthony Davis was injured and Thomas Bryant was having big games. I'm not a Thomas Bryant fan. Like I think like he's an offensive specialist. He's, yeah. He's really bad uh, on defense. Yeah. And like, you just, you couldn't, they didn't have a back, like, they didn't have a backup center in in Denver. And instead of leaning on him in any way, they're just like, we're just not going to do backup center. Yeah. Aaron Gordon's our backup center. Like, yeah, it worked out better than, than Thomas Bryant would have. Yeah, but that's 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 the case against him. But I do think in the regular season, he could prop them up for some games, especially on a on a team star for scoring, and they can put mm-hmm. good defensive lineups around them, especially if they're going to play him with Bam. Like that's a, that's an interesting look. Kevin Love's coming back as yeah. well. That's Resign Kevin Love. Thought Kevin Love and Kyle move. Lowry are on the team, but they're both like faded. Like you know, they just they had some games in the playoffs, and then the, and like the next game where they were really needed. They, were just they just didn't have complete it. no shows. Yeah. That's how it is with 36, 37 year old guys, though. That's yeah. just that's that's what you get. You kind of yeah, it, you it's gotta tough for Lowry. You I gotta guess. like it, it's great when they have a good game, but they're not going to be able to do that every night. Yeah. Lowry just always, I mean, both of them to some extent, just sometimes just look like they're it's so painful to play basketball, or like they're so they just can't move in the way they want to. It's like the body will not do what the mind asks. So um, so let's yeah. Let's go nightmare scenario. Damian Lillard gets traded to the Raptors or some other team. Mm. What do the Heat do from there? That's a that's a fantastic question because yeah, they're they're in they're in panic mode at that point, right? I don't, but I don't think they do anything. They don't like, try to make some other trade. I mean, I like I said sort of earlier, trading for stars is it's a more doable thing than it was in the past. Like, you know, like we don't really see free agency stars anymore. It's always about like, you know, like someone will ask out and Miami will be ready for that. But I think in the meantime, they're just going to stick to their scrappy identity, but it's like, what do you do when you set yourself up for, for one specific trade and then the season starts and, and I guess, you know, happened to the Knicks to an extent and they like rebounded fine and just like did their thing, but they'd already kind of, you know, they'd brought in Jalen Brunson and they'd like, they already had a team more ready to go. This team went to the finals last year, but they did not equip themselves to get through the regular season as well this year. Yeah, well, they just kind of took a pass on free agency, I think, in large part because they're just waiting on Dame. Yeah. There's going to be some fallout, I think, if when the Dame trade happens. Oh, you, do, are you saying, like, you think they chase Harden or something? I don't know what their other options are. Like, you know, what other star-level guard is there on the trade market that you could get that – you're not going to have a, a whole lot of like pressure or competition over. I mean, it's pretty much hardened. And yeah. Cause they the just go and get there. It. I mean, I don't think Maury likes that. I think Maury likes that um, trade package worse than Portland would though. Maury's not going to be like, Maury's a, a jerk about these things. Like, you know, we all, we all thought he should have traded Ben Simmons for garbage. And he's like, he went out and got hardened, took him like five months to do it. And he just like, he doesn't have the, and he's sitting on again questionable value, and he's. I think he's going to feel emboldened by how the Simmons trade went, and I just mean if no one else is offering anything for Harden. Yeah, I just don't like. I think he. I think Maury would wait all the way to the trade deadline 
rather than take Miami's trade package. I think it makes it's like a trade package that makes more sense for Portland than it does for Phil. Like Philadelphia is like interested in being competitive with Joel Embiid yeah. and saving their cap space, so they don't want Tyler Hero. Yeah. Like, like they don't want like what you know whatever else is being like. Sure, they take like Nikola Jovic, but that's not like on its own is nothing. And the draft equity is not great. And if if Dame doesn't go there, it's really hard to see this team competing this year in any kind of I do, way. I do think in terms of like on the roster potential, I see Nikola Jovic, Jaime Hakez, Haywood Highsmith, mm-hmm. and Josh Richardson as all players that could totally pop as rotation level players yeah. um, and, and create smoother sailing in Miami. I feel like, you know, maybe it's unlikely that all those guys pop at the same time, but again, like the, like heat does a great job with lots of kinds of players in the development system. I think the age of Kyle Lowry is going to be a problem but just looking at this roster, I'm not like, well, this is completely hopeless, but it's like, there's some big concerning holes and I would be more inclined to say things go bad versus things go good. I, I think, I mean, I haven't looked at our like list yet, but I think I was really, really low on the heat. Like I had them like right back where they were last year. Yeah. I'm trying to look at it right. Oh yeah. So you have them with the eighth best record mm-hmm. in the NBA. And that was assuming right that they trade for Damian Lillard. Yeah, and Vegas has them at eight, eighth as well, mm-hmm. and then I had them at seventeenth. So I'm I'm dragging them down. This they would have maybe been in the next tier, or at the, like the very top. Of this. We're not going to get to Sacramento today, but that's the, yeah. the next team on our list. Yeah, and even Spoilers. if the, even if the Heat trade for Dame, it's going to take a little bit to get things figured out. It is going to hurt their defense, no question. It is going to hurt their depth, no question. Bam and Jimmy have a tendency to miss twenty five to thirty three percent of the season every year with injuries. Yeah, Bam played. Bam was healthy last year. Jimmy was relatively healthy last year. Bam played 75. That's like as good as it gets anymore. That's yeah, that is a very healthy Bam season. He's had, but he's only really had one bad season when you think of the like he played 50 games the year before. Yeah. And after that, like, because it's 64 games a year before, but that's in a 72 game season. In yeah. 2020, he played all 72 games, and the okay. year before that, played all 82. Games. I, I, I don't think it's time yet to call Bam injury prone. I think he's got a pretty healthy track record there. If okay. you take away that that one season, maybe I spoke too um, too soon. But Jimmy, Jimmy had his healthiest season in a while last mm-hmm. year, and that's something that. And they finished in the play-in tournament. So, like the the margin for error here is just so slim in Miami without this without this trade. So, yeah, they are definitely in a bit of a desperate spot. And this year, they, they don't even have Victor Oladipo to save them. Oh, no. <laughs> Except maybe he might get cut, and then he can, then he can rejoin the team and rehab for another Yeah, year. I mean, I guess they got Victor Oladipo in the first place, just kind of kind of maneuvering into taking on his salary. Yeah, he just kind but of also he was a good, but he was a great flyer in Miami when they originally, like they mm-hmm. signed, like he, I'm glad that he got paid a little bit because I do think his talent was like worth it. It didn't work out at all. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame because Victor Oladipo was so good back in 2018. And it's such a shame that he never got back to that level. Yeah. And just hasn't got a single injury break since then. Played 75 games in 2018 has not last year was his healthiest season since which with a whopping 42 games. That's how bad it's been for Victor Oladipo. And he yeah. was such a talent with like, yeah, I, he, I, he's definitely someone who like, I'm really hoping, I think it'd just be awesome if he could just get sometime in his thirties, just one like healthy season of being a good, like defensive role player somewhere competing on a team. Like I really hope that for him because he was, he was so good. Definitely. 
All right. Well, we should we should wrap this up. We've been previewing really hard, and you know, oh, yeah. previewing previewing is exhausting. We're still, you know, one thing this podcast never has is like a clean outro. So this no. is the point of time where a it's, podcast it's not to like, changing today. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I got to do the token. I throw this in every now and then. I'm like, check out our our YouTube channel. Simon is is uploading chunks of this podcast. You see our faces, and you know, like get more like clean little bits kind of team by team especially for the season preview if you're just interested in one team that's like probably the better way to do this if you don't want to listen to us talk about Markeith Morris on the Mavericks for too long because you're because you're just a heat fan join our discord community it's always the same name on everything underhand free throw look us up check us out on twitter and yeah like always we really hope that you can kindly remember that ball is life we'll see you next time